0: Well, we are excited to announce here at Human Events Daily that today we are launching Prepare with Poso, along with My Patriot Supply. Now you guys know about My Patriot Supply, but if you hadn't heard about it, let me give you the quick and dirty. What is it? Four-week emergency food kits. That's what they do. My my Patriot Supply, they're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they have millions of well-prepared customers who love their food. Now, the way they break it down is this is a four-week kit with over 2,000 calories per day, and that's one kit per person. But now you guys can get that thing, you do the math for your family, you figure out what, what makes sense. And I remember that we were preparing, we were preparing to do this, uh, The spot. And so we have preparewithposo.com set up, and I want you guys to go to preparewithposo.com. Just check it out. See what's on there. It's like the food is great, by the way. The stuff they have is amazing. You saw what happened with I-95 this week. You saw what happened to Virginia. People trapped in their cars. Get one of these things. Go to preparewithposo.com right now. Set it for your house. Set it for your car. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. Today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today's top stories. The DOJ has opened an investigation into a Ghislaine Maxwell juror, and there's a possibility that the case may be reopened. Exclusive. Next. Russia is sending troops, actually paratroopers, to Kazakhstan amid riots there in the capital. Third, the FBI is still hunting for the January 6th pipe bomber a year later. And finally, huge story, turning point, it's been all over this one. The University of Memphis is offering professors cold, hard cash to go woke. All these stories and more, Human Events Daily. So this is a major update in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, and Daily Mail's been covering it, but I really haven't seen it anywhere else, where there is a situation now where you've got a potential rogue juror who's going around, who's giving all these interviews, telling people about what happened during that jury room in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And some of the things that he's been saying in these interviews have led the attorneys for Ghislaine Maxwell to realize that they've got a bit of a problem. And now, according to the Daily Mail, they've received word that the U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Garland, has ordered an investigation at the highest level of the DOJ into this potential juror, uh, rogue juror situation. So what is a rogue juror? What does this all mean? What are we talking about? So over the break, as I correctly predicted, if you guys have been paying attention to Human Events Daily, I said, she would be convicted that it was gonna happen and that it was essentially going to be a cover-up. We weren't going to get any information about the clients of the Epstein network. Who were these pedophiles? Who were these predators? So yes, we know that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were running the network. We know who the victims of the network were, and God bless them for being able to not only survive that, but then the, you know a, a great number of them actually went into court. And in court, they were able to confront their, their abuser, and they were able to really take their power back. But who were the other clients of the network? Apparently, the DOJ doesn't mind about that. But here's a clip of the DOJ, of the U.S. attorney there, talking about the conviction. A unanimous jury has found Galen Maxwell guilty of one of the worst crimes imaginable, facilitating and participating in the sexual abuse of children, crimes that she committed with her longtime partner and co-conspirator, Jeffrey Epstein. The road to justice has been far too long. But today justice has been done. But what is a rogue juror? A rogue juror is someone that goes on the jury, but they take in information and they use information, whether it be personal or whether it be uh, exculpatory, inculpatory, that essentially taints the jury process. They have a bias and they bring their bias in with them. They make it through jury selection and this creates a problem. So what was something that that juror said? Well, this guy's name is Scotty David. And Scotty David, who's been going out and giving all these interviews, he said during the DailyMail.com interview on Tuesday when he was asked that he said he had revealed to the jury during deliberations that he himself was a former victim of sexual abuse. Now that's horrific and that's terrible and I would hope that that's investigated and people are actually looking into what happened there. But that creates a conflict of interest. Because you can't have someone who's the victim of a similar crime sitting on the jury for someone that's, uh, you know, on trial for that same crime. It creates a conflict of interest. So you're coming in with a bias. And he actually said during that interview, during the questionnaire, they don't ask about your sexual abuse history, if you have any sexual abuse history. However, if you go and look at the actual questionnaire, there is a question. Question number 48 on the document does ask if you have been the victim of sexual abuse. Because obviously, that is a situation that the entire trial of Ghislaine Maxwell is predicated on, the sexual abuse of these children. This has created a massive problem, so her lawyers, of course, are calling for a mistrial now. The prosecution has appointed counsel for this rogue juror who admits that he swayed the jury during jury deliberations with discussion of his own experience, and the defense is calling for a mistrial in this situation. How this person was able to get through, this is another example of something that I talked about week after week after week, that the prosecutors that were assigned to this trial were woefully inexperienced. This was not something that was on their radar that they were not tracking, they weren't looking for. This was a situation where, remember, the oldest trial lawyer in this, the oldest uh, prosecutor in this, 37. The other uh, lead prosecutor, Maureen Comey, the daughter of James Comey, his hand-appointed successor. Of course, he was formerly the U.S. attorney of the Southern District of New York where this is all going on. So we may actually see a situation here, right? Even though it seemed so remotely impossible... Where, because of this rogue juror and because of the inexperience of these prosecutors, that Ghislaine Maxwell's guilty verdict could be vacated and they could declare a mistrial because they didn't do their jobs, they weren't prepared, and this wasn't something that they looked at that they should have known about. Are you paying attention yet? This wasn't an investigation. This was a mop-up operation. So, once again, I wanted to say thank you to everybody for supporting us, for supporting the program. Remember to continue to go to mypillow.com, use promo code POST. So, you got the pillows, you got the towels, you got the topper. If you've got a little My Pillow FOMO out there, because you saw everybody getting their My Pillow stuff under the Christmas tree, they had the gifts, they were wrapped, it was so beautiful. Maybe they had the Let's Go brand and wrapping paper, right? But they're unwrapping it and they were getting all these My Pillow goodies, and you're like, you know, I saw that on their Instagram page, and I wish that I had something like that for me. Well, now you can. You can rectify it. Get over your FOMO. Get rid of your FOMO. Go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code POSO right now. You support American workers, and you can help an American company right in our heartland. And by the way, get some really, really good products. So this next story. Russia is now sending troops to Kazakhstan amid the protests. What is going on with Kazakhstan? Why is this happening right now? Who are the protesters? Why is Russia sending troops in? Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. I will explain all of it to you. Now, let's go once again for a little something around here that we call map break. Here is Russia, here is Kazakhstan. Understand that Kazakhstan at one point was part of the Soviet Union. This is a former Soviet country. And a lot of former Soviet countries now, uh, because of their geography, look, geography is destiny. And if you've read any Mackinder, you understand his World Island thesis. This idea that whoever controls the heartland of the World Island, who controls Central Asia and Eastern Europe, essentially has the ability to influence the vast bulk of geopolitics. Okay, so Kazakhstan, as it stands as a country is important because of its geostrategic location. This is also part of the reason that you see Afghanistan, which is, of course, very, very close, same neighborhood, um, being at the heart of so many of these international debacles, whether it be the Soviet Union in the 1980s, whether it be uh, the British Empire in the 1800s, whether it be the United States, right, for the last 20 years. That is why so many people care about this. It's this geostrategic location. With kazakhstan on the at the same time this is one of the world's largest suppliers of uranium it's also something that i don't think a lot of people realize it's one of the largest not just uranium mining countries it's one of the largest bitcoin mining countries and so the reasons for that are are myriad and i can you know i get into all this but essentially because they have so much coal and because they are so coal powered the price of electricity is fairly cheap in Kazakhstan. And because it's fairly cheap there, a lot of people who get into Bitcoin mining, which is essentially, um, the simplest way to explain Bitcoin mining is these are, the decentralized but completely linked computers that upload and um, uphold the Bitcoin network, which is known as the blockchain. So the blockchain is how Bitcoin operates. They uphold the blockchain by connecting all of these various computers. So your your main um, cost in terms of all of this, of course, is going to be electricity. Well, in Kazakhstan, right, you have the cheapest electricity. So a lot of people, after China cracked down on mining, on Bitcoin mining, they moved over to Kazakhstan. So actually, the price of Bitcoin fell yesterday and the speed by which the blockchain was operating, which is known as the hash rate, trying to not go uh, too into the weeds on Bitcoin for everybody. But that also fell yesterday by about 2% because of the internet outage that occurred in Kazakhstan. Now. The, the government of Kazakhstan, it is an autocracy. They have been, the you know, the guy who's there has been around for two years, but he was appointed by uh, the former president who had been there for over 30 years, really since the fall of the Soviet Union. Protesters are now coming out, and it has been an incredibly violent uprising. This is not something... Like we've seen in the United States. They are taking guns from the military. They are detaining military. Uh, They're shooting military members, shooting police officers. It has been really bad. Take a quick look at some of the things, the scenes that we've seen out of Kazakhstan. So of course, in terms of the sphere, the sphere of influence, right? You're now seeing the countries of Central Asia and some countries of Eastern Europe, like Belarus, have all pledged that they are going to be launching a peacekeeping mission into this country, into Almaty, which is of course it's the largest, the most commercial city of Kazakhstan. Uh, Nur-Sultan, uh, formerly known as Astana, is the capital of Kazakhstan, separate city. What they're doing is you are seeing the influence of this block of countries. It's, you know, it's the former post-Soviet bloc, but it's also kind of seen as the, um, the counterpart to NATO in Eastern Europe and Central Europe. Basically, they're saying, look, we are going to keep our system going. We are going to keep our people in power. We don't want anything that has any ties to the West, or any ties back to anything else with the EU, or NATO, or the United States, or the Atlanticist Axis, or anything like that. This is what you're seeing, folks, right? And I'm not taking one side or the other. I'm just explaining to you what is going on, and I'm trying to leave the rhetoric on the sidelines and just give it straight to you, because we are seeing a massive geopolitical uh, crisis on our hands. Now, the question is, the question is, how will the leaders of the West The leaders of the United States, the leaders of NATO, the leaders of the EU respond to this. Davos wants to get into Kazakhstan. Mark my words. And Hunter Biden, he's already been there, and he's already been doing business. Well, today, of course, is January 6, 2022. But my question isn't necessarily about January 6, 2021. My question is about January fifth, 2021. So last night, right, as we sit and record this, it was last night. A pipe bomber appeared outside of the in Washington, D.C., just within walking distance, really, of the Capitol building, carrying a roller, you know, piece of roller luggage, masked, wearing a hoodie, wearing gloves, dark, looks like jeans to me, and designer sneakers, and placed, we're told, working pipe bombs outside the heads of both. Major American parties' headquarters. Here's an interview the D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser gave last year about this. Is there anything you can tell us about the pipe bombs that have been reported having been found outside and the U.S. Capitol? We know that we responded to a credible to credible reports of at least two incendiary devices. I can't give you any specifics about them right now. So what is the FBI doing here? Because I've seen, and if you've gone around D.C. at all this past year, you've seen the wanted posters that are up all over the place, you know, wanted uh, these people for, for um, crimes on January 6th, and you see the names and you see all the people that are involved, that they're going after. What's interesting, though, is you know there was a guy who was later identified as being named Ray Epps, and he was on these, these most wanted posters, these digital posters, and yet he later disappeared after people actually did identify him. They found video of this guy saying on the night before that he wanted to go in and that he was telling people to go in and recruiting people to go in. We then later have video of him on January 6th being one of the very first people to knock down the barricades on January 6th, and yet not even on the list anymore. Hasn't been charged, hasn't been arrested. What's going on with that? Where is Ray Epps? But the bigger question is, why is it that the FBI has seemingly not taken any steps to identify this pipe bomber. Right now, understand, Washington, D.C. is one of the most surveilled cities on the face of planet Earth, and specifically the Capitol Hill area. There are cameras on every single one of the private residences around here. Why? They're checking the doorways. There's ring cameras. There's even on, um, there's a Tesla that you can see this pipe bomber walking past. And I can't say him or her because you actually can't tell from the video. You can, I mean, there's, you can see how they're walking, but kind of hard to tell, right? You really can't say one way or the other if this is male or female because again, the clothing is so incredibly bulky, completely covered head to toe. Uh, they're carrying a roller bag, which, you know, it, not exactly something that can narrow it down. Everybody's got a roller bag these days. So my question is though, Did the FBI go and interview? Did they canvass the area? Did they talk to everybody that was in the vicinity of where this took place? And they say, hey, here's a question. Did you see somebody walking up and down the street with a roller bag? And if so, did you see where they went? Did you see what kind of car they came in? Did they come on foot? Did they take an Uber? were any Ubers operating in the area? You get a list of the Ubers that were operating in the area and then you see, you go to Uber and then you subpoena them and you say, I want a list of all the Ubers that dropped off somebody in the vicinity, take a 10 block, 10 block radius, right? Walking distance of the, uh, of the RNC and the DNC on Capitol Hill that night. And then you go through, you work through one by one and they should have all the app data of every single person who was dropped off in that area. And then you go through and you check every single person like this. Um, then of course you go to the Metro. So you go and look at the subways, who is getting on and off the subway. It's it Again, like this is just basic police work. This is basic stuff. I think most people would understand how that works. Um, you know, I did a lot of this stuff when I was in the intel community as... Um, as intelligence officer, but at the same time, the question is, why haven't we received any update from the FBI on this? Not to mention the entire analysis, the forensic analysis you can do of the devices themselves. You mean to tell me that while constructing these things, there's not one fingerprint, there's no trace, uh, trace DNA, touch DNA, any of this stuff. We haven't gotten a single update from the FBI, from Quantico about this thing since last year. I have questions and I think you have questions and the American people deserve answers. An incredible story out of the University of Memphis and Turning Point USA is all over this thing. Here's what's going on. According to emails obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, the University of Memphis told faculty that they could collect a $3,000 stipend. Wow, that's good money. Nice work if you can get it for redesigning their curricula to align with the university's commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. Incredible. Interested faculty are asked to submit a copy of Syllabi to be reworked as well as a 500 word narrative on their diversity, equity, and inclusion philosophy and how the new lessons will address disparities in their subject area. This, I mean, I applaud you. I applaud the University of Memphis. I don't think you should be only offering them $3,000 though. I don't think that's fair. I think you should be offering them $30,000. Why not $300,000? Why not three million? Are you not committed? Do you think diversity, inclusion, and equity is so, so meaningless that you would only offer $3,000? These universities should be at least offering one million minimum, I think, in terms of all of this. The local Turning Point USA chapter from the University of Memphis has been completely outspoken about this. I want to play a clip of their interview for you you right now. I was very upset because this just proves that University of Memphis' top priority is not academics, but instead it's indoctrinating students with propaganda. And if professors are bribed with taxpayer dollars to redesign their curriculum, to be to focus on anti-racism or diversity and inclusion. These professors, it doesn't make them woke. It doesn't make them social justice warriors. They're being bribed to do this. This is how it's done, folks. Look, the best way to defeat a bad idea is to agree with it aggressively, right? So $3,000, I'm sorry, University of Memphis, you got to do better. You've got to do a whole lot better. Are you not really committed to social justice? Do you think $3,000, that's a pittance when you think, of the horrors and the terrors that have been perpetuated on these students by your university. By the way, is it also an admission that the University of Memphis is itself a tool of systemic racism? I I, I want to know how this stuff works because... (laughs) like I I have this thing where, you know, a lot of like, you know, conservative talking heads or whatever, um, they'll say, oh, well, those guys are just crazy. Oh, those guys are are just nuts. Right. But I see a new pathology and something like this. And I want to examine it. I want to, I'm fascinated by these things. And so I want to get into it and I want to understand it better. So by your contention, right, if you're offering this, is this does the University of Memphis view this as some form of reparations? And if they view it as some form of reparations, then what is it reparations for? What is the University of Memphis? Oh, in the South, Confederate state, all right. So was the University of Memphis responsible for the Civil War? And if so, should the University of Memphis be renamed? Should it be moved? Should it be shut down, right? And this is the thing, right? So where do you draw the line with this stuff? So that's why I say 3,000, not enough. You gotta do three. I would say not only $3,000 for the teachers but shouldn't you also be giving three thousand dollars to each of the students that are in this that are going through this program that are going through this curricula because each one of them then deserves to be paid for their burden right for having to live through the sins and the crimes of the University of Memphis and the weight of systemic racism that's been placed on their shoulders you know really I just just say a prayer I just say a prayer for the poor students and professors of the University of Memphis, and I hope that these millions and millions of dollars of their endowment and state money is able to go to heal these wounds. Well, that's it for us here today, Human Events Daily. Remember our motto to you, be good, be brief, be gone. And remember what everyone's homework is. You gotta take this episode and share it with one of your normie friends, just one, one normie friend. You've got them out there, we all know everybody has them, and say, hey, you know, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, I know Everyone's talking about Jan 6 right now. That's kind of the national discussion. But don't don't forget, there's this huge thing going on with Ghislaine Maxwell, totally nonpartisan. Get the update on this. No, you know, I saw this guy Posobiec, Human Events Daily. He was talking about it. You know, you might want to get the update on that because there's been some movement, right? That is what we do here, folks. We're sharing information with you that you can use in your daily life. It's 25 minutes a day. That's all we got. And folks, yes, today is the anniversary of Jan 6, but remember. History is for us to learn from. It's not for us to use as ways to demonize our opponents. Ladies and gentlemen, you have my permission, as always, to lay ashore.